Bring Your Vibrator to Rehab is an emotionally frenzied memoir that reveals the terrifying and lonely world of addiction. After almost a decade of sobriety, Pam Gaslow relapsed into a life of dependency on marijuana, which nearly destroyed her. She recounts a devastating downward spiral that shattered her life when she was 45 years old. From bongs to pipes to flavored vape pens, she drifted and then dove into a two-year-long stoned void. Pam was 20, was the 24-hour defunct addict living without a purpose and barely able to function. And while she was at this point, um, she was aware that pot wouldn't kill her, but she couldn't feel more dead inside, she says. Eventually, she became sick of the marijuana toxicity and finally found the courage to seek treatment. Don't go away. We will be right back with more of a behind-the-scenes look of her book. Welcome. If you're just joining us, this is or you are watching the Writer's Corner live show. I'm your host, Bridgette Limbanda from Cape Town in South Africa. And our live stream is made possible by Creative Edge, StreamYard and BeLive Media. A special warm welcome to our viewers, whether you're watching us on Facebook, on YouTube, on Twitter. Um, if you're watching us on LinkedIn, or over on Amazon Live. This is an audience-centric show. So do know that uh, we are watching the comments. And if you're watching us over on Amazon Live, um, I've got the comments right here on my phone. So feel free to say hello. Um, and we would be happy to give you a shout out to welcome you if you are brand new to the show. Again, you're watching the Writer's Corner Live show with our special guest, Pam Gaslow. But first, let me say hello to my friend and co-host, Mary Elizabeth Jackson. She's a special needs and disabilities advocate. She's also a ghostwriter and an award-winning author. Her latest release is Cheers from Heaven with Thornton Klein. She's in Nashville in the US, USA. So wherever you're watching us from, a hearty warm welcome to you. Hi. Mary, welcome to Hi, I'm so excited to be here this morning. And this is our, we're in 2022. I cannot believe it. It's amazing, isn't it? Absolutely. Where has the time gone? It's been a crazy time. Um, I and I can't wait to introduce Pam. She's got such an amazing story. So for all of you out there who's currently suffering from an addiction, whatever that addiction may be, or perhaps you have a family member who is currently um, addicted. But to all of you authors who are out there, um, you know, due to the pandemic, a lot of you are not able to go and do as much in-person events as we could do pre-pandemic. And so a lot of you are doing stuff um, online. 
And so before we invite Pam onto the stage, a couple of things that you can do to level up on your online appearance when you are talking about your books, because that's what you want to do and need to do. Um, there's a few things that I would recommend to level up um, your online appearance. One of it is the Logitech Brio camera, which is the one that I'm using. And um, I know Mary uses the yes. Logitech Brio camera as well, right? Yes, I do. Mm -hmm. And we both have an external uh, microphone and we have a green screen and, you know, all those um, items that really do help to level up your game and make you, um, uh, you appear the best that you can. So they're good to use. So what I use for a microphone is the Samsung um, C01U, which is a condenser microphone and they produce it. This has got a die cast um, body, which means that it's great for sound. Um, but if you don't want to have a big microphone, you don't have to have one. Um, I also recommend that you use the Rode um, lapel microphone, which is something tiny like that, which you can clip on. So that's another thing that you can use to level up your um, online appearance. That comes highly rec recommended. And a lot of you, I know, just use your phones to go live. And that's nothing wrong with that. But do stabilize your phones. Um, so one of the things that you can use is a stabilizer like that, which this is the DJ Osman, but you can use anything that's similar. Um, or you can also use one of these, which will help you to stabilize your phones so that you don't give your audience um either a headache or make them feel seasick which is what happens when you hold your phone in your hand yeah um important, so, uh, it's very important for interviews isn't it and, and uh, yeah and we're really excited you know pam pam really brings to light um, I'm, I'm glad she wrote this book because, um, you know, this is a real issue we have globally, not just here in the United States. Um, and it does affect a lot of families um, and can just tear people apart and totally destroy their lives. So we're really grateful for her to be um, willing to tell her story and put it in a book in a way that is um, easy to read and, um, you know, just kind of get get what she went through across to people who are reading the book so that they can have maybe some more sympathy and compassion for someone going through something like this, which is very important. Absolutely. So for those of you who have never met Pam Gasler, she is a New York-based, New York-born, Miami-based writer, yeah. comedian, and artist. Um, she's also a contributor to the Huffington Post, the Good Men Project, the Times of Israel, and Newsbreak. Um, and then, very interestingly, Pam says she used to have a blog called Depressed Hot Girl, but she took it down. I saw that. To disown her. <laughs> so today we're talking about her book, Don't Bring Your Vibrator to Rehab, and it's a somewhat comedic memoir. With that, let's welcome Pam to the show, shall we? Hi, Pam. And welcome to the show. Glad to have you here. Thank you for joining us today. Hi. Thank you so much for having me. 
Pamela, I'm going to jump right off and ask you, how did you come up with it? I was intrigued by the title um, yeah. <laughs> of your book. How did you decide? I mean, it's, it sounds like a somewhat provocative title. Um, and the book is kind of, you know, serious. So how did you come up with that title? The way I came up with the title, when I was researching treatment centers, they all send you lists of items you can and cannot bring with you. Uh, and some of them were really funny. And one of them actually said that you cannot bring teddy bears, which I thought was interesting. But then I thought, well, maybe it's because people hide drugs in them. I also don't know what adult would actually bring a teddy bear to rehab. So first I was going to call don't bring your teddy bear to rehab. And then when I continued my search, another facility under their list of items not to bring it said sexual objects. And I thought, okay, I'm going to go with vibrator because that's <laughs> way more funny than teddy bear. So that's how I came up with the title. Well, it's definitely, um, it catches people, but you know what, that's what you got to do as an author though. And with the cover, with the title, you want something that's going to grab people and go, oh, I, I got to look at this book or, oh my, or whatever their reaction is, right? Because you at least want a reaction to what you've done, your work. Um, so what can people, you know, what is this story about or what is your book about? And then what can people expect to find in your book that you've written? The book is about my relapse on marijuana. So I'm gonna give you a little bit of a backstory here. I, I got sober for the first time in 1996 and I've had two real relapses. So this one, both times I was sober for eight years. So the second relapse, this book is about the second relapse and you know, I still haven't drank. So I haven't had a drink in almost 26 years, but the marijuana was always just like a more of a trigger for me. So I had eight years sober and then I relapsed and what ensued from there with the knowledge and, you know, with the knowledge in my head, like of having been sober my, most of my adult life, and what I went through psychologically and physically. So knowing in the back of my mind that while I'm I'm smoking pot every day, that I know this is bad for me, I am so unhappy. And I know that I really need to be a sober person. So what I went through, I, I was getting high for two years around the clock. And I became, you know, there's a lot of silly things that happen and there's the funny side, you know, but then eventually things just became very sad. I was very depressed. I was hopeless. And sort of the story of like how I went psychologically from getting high every day to knowing that I need treatment. And there's there's some fun and, and humor in it about ways to avoid, you know, going to rehab, even though you need it kind of thing. And eventually what happened after those two years was I started getting physically sick. And I started vomiting from marijuana toxicity. And it was at that point that I became very, very alarmed. And it was at that point that I knew that I, that was it. And I, I had to get treatment. And then you follow me through treatment and, um, you know, what goes on actually in a treatment center and, you know, and that that's pretty much the story. Mm. Well, we appreciate you. I, I do personally, I know Bridgette does too, for being willing to tell your story. And um, But it's good that you did it in a comedic way, which is your nature, I know. But um, it kind of takes a little bit of the edge off of it, doesn't it? Oh, completely. And that's also why the title is kind of edgy and kind of funny. And, 
you know, also, um, yeah, it's provocative. And I think that addiction is a really heavy, often mostly sad topic. And I just wanted to show the humorous side because like, if you can't laugh, you're going to cry. And I just like to kind of, you know, make it a little lighter. And, you know, some of it is funny, not all of it, but some of it is. And, you know, why not laugh as much as you can <laughs> yourself yeah. or, or whatever? Yeah, for sure. You know, I always think when, you know, when you, as an author, when you write, you're putting your heart and soul out there to the world in general. But when you're writing about something so deeply uh, personal, I imagine that that was a little bit harder um, to do. So how did you get yourself to put yourself out there in such a deeply personal manner? And how long did it take for you to decide to do this? And then how long did it take for you to actually write your story? Okay. It's hard for me to say exactly how long it took because I'm a procrastinator and I would start it and stop it. But I would say probably it took me like maybe six months on and off. And for me, I went to treatment knowing that I wanted to write about it. So I went with a notebook and I took copious notes pretty much every single day of what was going on and what people were saying, because that's just so real to me and I didn't want to forget it. It was, so I went in there knowing I was going to write about it and I wanted to write about it. And for me, I like to be honest and I'm, I'm just a very like open, honest person. And I think that people appreciate and respect that. And I think especially with the topic of addiction, there's really no other way to be because people want to know they're not alone. They want to connect. They want to break the isolation. And, you know, I've been in recovery for so many years and I've learned from going to A meetings that, that, that you just tell your story and you share your experience, strength, and hope, and that's what helps other people. So I'm not afraid to say how I feel, to say what I went through, because so many other people have, have gone through the same thing and worse. And this is how we help each other recover by just sharing our experience and having other people identify. And that's, so for me, it's personally not difficult. I just prefer to be honest, open, and hopefully a little bit funny about it. <laughs> you can read a section well, out of your book for us, you know, just to give people an idea um, of book, just, you know. Sure, yes. So the section I picked is at the end. It's actually basically at the very end. And when I was in treatment, my therapist asked me to write a letter to Pot. So I'm going to read that letter and then I'm going to read a little bit more. So this was my letter to Pot. Dear Pot. The more time we have away from each other, the more clarity I get. This was the longest, most pernicious relationship I've ever had, and you were never going to be the one to end it. You were going to take me further down the, the abyss of hopelessness and despair, putting a permanent pause button on my life. Seeing what I looked like under your spell is tragic and terrifying, and also the best reminder of all the harm you caused, of everything you took away from me. You brought out the worst in me, and thank God I had the strength and courage to end that before it was too late. You have nothing I want. I want to be present. I want to feel. I want to be free. I want self-respect. I want to face my fears one day at a time, because no matter how scary they are, you're way scarier. But most of all, I want to live, and you're the opposite of life. You're a soul sucker, a mind fuck, and insidious, all-encompassing toxicity. 
You're a destroyer of spirit, love, hope, dreams, ambition, productivity, time, memory, lungs, and brain cells. I don't remember a lot about the last two years, but at the same time, I remember too much. Adios. Wow. <laughs> that That is very, that that's really, wow. That's spot yeah. on, isn't it? Yeah. That was... Unfortunately, <laughs> yeah, but yeah. That, was, that was a good adios. I like that at the very end. So, what did you talking about rehab? Um, you know, with your letter that you wrote to Pot, was rehab what you expected, or what? And what was the most surprising thing to you that happened to you in rehab? That was my second time in rehab, so. I was kind of prepared and aware of what it would be like, but it was definitely more interesting than my first time. And I, I think um, what actually what surprised me the most was to find out that I was not as bad as I thought I was. And that's sort of in comparing myself to other people. But so, you know, rehab is, is a very interesting place and everybody you're very raw and you're very open and you're very um, honest, like like I just spoke about before, and there are no fronts. So everyone, you get to know these people in a week more than you know your friends for 10 years. But I would have to say, yeah, the most surprising thing to me was going in there and thinking that I was such a mess and realizing, no, I was really just getting high all the time. And that you know, made me feel very crazy and more messed up than I was. And when you start to come down and get some clarity, you realize, okay, it's, it's the drug that was doing this to my mind. And I am not so, you know, that bad of a person, that messed up of a person. I just needed to get sober. Hmm. Wow. That's, That's very um, interesting, you know, that you, that you say that. And so, what I'd like to know from you is a lot of people who are addicts and families attest to this, you know, families can try and coax you into going into rehab. Um, oftentimes they do, they almost beg and plead. Friends might beg and plead, um, but that isn't necessarily what's going to make you want to go into rehab. So what was the tipping point um, for you when you actually realized that you needed um, rehab and while you were there, what did you learn about pot toxicity? The tipping point for me was when I actually started getting physically sick. And I had been, you know, I had a terrible cough and I couldn't think and I couldn't read and I couldn't focus and all those things while they were like, you know, obviously very negative, that didn't push me enough to, you know, to finally make the move and go. But what happened was when I just, I started vomiting regularly and that really, really scared me. And that's when, you know, and I would just, when that happened, I just started crying and I was like, okay, that's it. Like this, this is up. And um, the other part of the question was, I forget. <laughs> what was the other part? The other right. part of the, the question was, um, what is it that you learned about pot toxicity? Because that is what made you ill, right? Yes. Um, I, you know, it's just, it's a thing with chronic marijuana users. And I've read things that 
Um, they didn't really address that with me when I was there, but I've read about it and I've spoken to doctors and it's just, it's, it's happening more and more. Like they're seeing more in patients in the emergency room from it. And, you know, people think that people are in denial and they, they get all these medical tests done and they wonder what's wrong with them. And they figure out that that's what it is. I'm not a medical doctor, but it's been proven and it is a thing that it is from chronic marijuana use. And, you know, this is not going to happen for everyone. I was, you know, I was getting high around the clock. So you have to smoke a lot of weed, I assume, for this to happen to you. But it, it's scary and nobody wants to be sick. So that's it's a real red flag and a warning. Yeah, because, you know, marijuana is used for medicinal purposes for people. So I, I and I don't know. I mean, I've not read enough about that, about the medicinal purposes to know, okay, is, you know, vomiting a possible side effect for like cancer treatment, you know, and uh, pain treatment and, and the various things that, that it is used for. Um, you know, it, it's hard when, when you have an addictive personality or you have, a, you know, just that DNA that you can get addicted to things really easily. It is very hard for someone in an addiction to see that it's wrong for them or to even see, you know, the way to get out of what they're in. So um, what do you feel after your experience and everything you've been through, you know, what makes people so naive and not really aware of marijuana and how addictive that it can be? Because I know a lot of people think it's harmless compared to other drugs out there. Yes. And I think, you know, I know a lot of people that, that smoke pot and smoke a lot of pot, but I think when it's, you know, when it's prescribed medicinally, I think it's more moderated. I don't think people are hopefully not abusing it and that's more like controlled but I, it's a, it's an, it's an interesting and controversial topic because people, when I went to rehab and people were like, oh, you're just here for weed. They were like, that's it. What else? Like, why mm -hmm. are you here? And I've gotten that response a lot with the book, like, oh, she's addicted to weed. Like, that's, that's a joke. That's not real. And for people that don't understand, it is, it is a real thing and you might not understand it and it might not happen to you, but I don't understand things. A lot of things that happen to other people that, that don't affect me. So it's like, try to have an open mind that there are a lot of addicts out there and that their lives would be a lot better not being high, you know? And, and that being said, I know people that think they're very functioning and that they're high all the time. And if, you know, it's a personal, it's a personal diagnosis. It's like, if your life is unmanageable, you have to be the one to decide, is this affecting my life so negatively that maybe I should stop or maybe I should take a look at it. I also think that I know a lot of people that, you know, like I said, are, are getting high all day and think they're doing great. But I think that it's, it's, gives you a little bit of a handicap. And I think that you could probably be doing a lot better if you weren't on it. That's just my opinion. So it's to each their own to decide. And, um, and drugs affect people differently, you know? So, you know, <clears throat> you could take uh, somebody smoking marijuana could have a, an allergic reaction to it where you might not. And then maybe, you know, they could take a very a more potent drug and it doesn't do anything to them, but it affects you. But needless to say, when it comes down to it, really what we have to do is we have to face ourselves, don't we? We have to face what is that demon or that darkness inside of you or that place that you have brought, bought into that belief system that you've got a void there that needs to be filled. And that's really basically where you've got to come to, right? In order to heal. 
Oh yeah, a hundred percent. And it is, you know, you whether you're lonely, you're sad, you're depressed, you're not, you don't feel good enough, you know, and you and you're like you said, trying to fill that void with a drug. And it's just like, you know, the insidious part is you need more and more and more, and you need it every day because you're not really you're not addressing any real issues in your life. You're just, you know, masking everything with a substance. And it's just a terrible, terrible way to be, way to live. And you just need more and more. And it's just, I, for me personally, I just became more hopeless. And every single day I would wake up and say, okay, today I'm going to stop. And every single day I couldn't stop. So it's like someone like me, when I get to that point and I, I'm doing something so destructive and I'm powerless to stop on my own, that's when I have to ask for help. And thank goodness you did. You know, you got to the point where you realized you did need some assistance. So, you know, it's, it's been a, it's about five years now post, post rehab. How are you doing? How are you doing now? And I'd also like to know what would, you know, if, what would you like people who are currently addicted um, what would you like to say to them and what would you like to say to the families of people who are addicted? Because it's, you know, it's, it's not just the addict that is affected. Your family is affected by your addiction. Yeah, of course. Um, they say it's a family disease. I'm doing great. I mean, I'm up here. I'm early, it's early. Well, it's early here-ish. And um, no, in all seriousness, I am doing really well. And it's, I am so happy every day that I wake up and I'm clear and I don't have this like monkey on my back that's controlling my life. Um, it's just like, I feel alive and I felt like you, you know, I wrote in the book, I felt dead before. And I even remember my picture and I call it my rehab mugshot when I checked into rehab. And when I saw it, when I checked down, it was just like so sad to me. And I was like, who is that lost person? Um, as far as what I would say to addicts, you know, there is help. There is hope. You're not alone. Ask for help. Call like your local, you know, call AA. All the numbers are online. Go to an AA meeting or reach out to someone, you know, as as low and as, as you think, as low as you are and as lonely and you think you're alone and you think you're the only person, you're not. There's millions of people who have been there, done that. And millions of people in recovery that change their lives. And for families, I think that it's, it's, I, I can't imagine it's so hard because it's, you can't make anybody do anything that they don't want to do. I mean, you can tell them you're there for them and you can go to Al-Anon or, you know, but eventually it's like every person has to make their own decision of what they want to do. And it's, it's very difficult. And you know, just just say that you're there for them. And if you have to get to a point where you say we won't be there for you unless you get help, then that's what you need to do. Every every situation is different. Pam, did that happen for you? You know, did your family threaten to cut you off? Do you have family members that you're still trying to heal relationships with? My family, I kept it a secret. And since pot is like kind of like something you could do like behind closed doors. Nobody really knew what was going on with me. Like nobody, not even my friends. So 
for me, it was different. You know, I think when you're drinking and everybody sees more of what you're acting like and what you're, how you're behaving, you know, pot is more like of a quiet, subtle, but insidious drug. You know, most people can't see the effects except, you know, when you're walking around looking like a zombie. So yeah, for me, no, my family did not know. Okay. Cause that's really hard for a lot of people's families. I mean, I know we've had our own personal experience, so uh, it, it's quite difficult and it, it's, it's really hard to see somebody suffering that, you know, there are answers and solutions, but they either don't feel like they can get there or they don't believe it'll work. So they just kind of stay in the addiction and that, uh, like you said, it just kind of sucks you back in, doesn't it? And it seems easier to do that than it does to climb the mountain that it might take you to get to the other side, which would be really uh, healthier for you in the long run, obviously. Oh, a hundred percent. I mean, this is why most people don't get sober. And I mean, I even had all that history behind me of being sober and knowing what it's like and knowing, you know, what I need to do. And it, it's still really hard. So it's like, don't relapse because it's, it's just, it, it's just harder and harder to come back. And yeah, it's easier to stay in your little comfort zone of, of getting high all the time, but you're never, it, it's never going to work. It just gets worse. Mm -hmm. So if anyone is out there watching this and, um, you know, you are needing help, do ask, you know, um, get the help that you need. There are many, many organizations all around the world um, that want to help you. And if you're feeling like people don't care, actually people do. <laughs> you know, families families do care. It's really, really hard to reach out to somebody um, who can't see that they need help or um, appreciate that they need the assistance. So do ask for that help. Pam, thank you so, so much. It was really great having you on the show today. Thank you for your time. Thank you for sharing your story. Oh, thank thank you. you for having me. Thank yes, you. Thank you so much. Thank you for being vulnerable and, and willing to share. So yes, thank you guys. Absolutely. Thanks for joining us, everyone, whether you're watching the show live or you're catching it later on replay. Um, you were watching the Writer's Corner live show. And our amazing guest today was Pam Gaslow with her book, Don't Bring Your Vibrator to Rehab. It's her personal account of addiction and how she recovered. Thank you for joining us today. We'll see you back next week on the Writer's Corner live show. Mm -hmm.